0: Father, I pray that you'd be with each and every heart in this room. We're all coming from different places and uh, different s- struggles. <laughs> but uh, there's no question, there are people in this room who are, are just, <laughs> they're staggered, <laughs> they're having trouble keeping their balance because they're, they're so weighed down by their guilt and shame. So God, I pray that for those you would open their eyes so that they might see your pursuit of them, your longing for them to return like the prodigal. God, I pray today you would give us fresh eyes to understand forgiveness in a way that before today we may not have. God, we love you. As we reflect on what it is Christ did for us, may we love you more. It's in his good name I pray. Amen. Oh, amen. Take your Bibles if you would, if you have them, and if you don't have them. Again, we have Bibles available outside those two doors there in the lobby. You can grab one of those and uh, and keep it for yourself. Um, don't need to return it. Uh, Luke chapter 23 is where we're going to be this morning. Yeah, Luke chapter 23. Um hmm. So, <laughs> let me give the, the very brief introduction of the, the, the series here real quick. So today we're beginning our series um, that we're calling The Seven Sayings of Jesus from the Cross. And it's, it's kind of a, a kickoff Easter series almost, where we're going to walk through and look at the, the, the passion events, at Christ being crucified... And, and what he says while he's on the cross, because when Jesus speaks, we should just stop and listen. But particularly in that moment, we should pay careful attention to what he's saying. Um, some of the sayings are well-known. Some of them aren't. Some of them, it's easy to see where we're going to go when we get to the preaching time. And some of them, I'm still not sure where we're going to go when we get to the preaching time, so... But we start with one in Luke chapter 23 that um, really should shake us to the core. And let me explain why. Because today, uh, at the end of the message, uh, I'm giving you a fair warning. I'm going to provide two opportunities for a response. Um, Call it an invitation if you want. The first opportunity to respond, the first invitation to you is going to be to those of you who have who have um, not only just become familiar with the message of the, the good news found in Scripture, but you've embraced the message of the gospel that Christ Jesus came to save sinners and you were one and he died for you. So the first invitation is going to be to those of you who've embraced Jesus because what, what's going to happen is we walk through this and we get to the end. The, the, the plan is, unless the Holy Spirit directs otherwise, is, is for me to invite you to let go of the shame and the guilt that you often carry because of your imperfections. To taste and see what forgiveness is. What it means for you. The second invitation is going to be the, for those of you who, who, who are here. And just so you know, it's not an accident that you're here. Not only did you brave the, the snowpocalypse, but God has you here in this moment in this time because the Holy Spirit is calling you. And so if you're here and you've never embraced the good news of the gospel, you've never called on the name of Jesus to save you, to redeem you, to rescue you, then at the very end of our time together in the Word, then you are going to be invited to embrace the gospel. You're going to be invited to enjoy the sweet results of God's forgiveness for your sins. So forgiveness is our topic today. Forgiveness is a wonderful idea. I mean, many of us, I, it actually should be all of us, but it's funny, as I thought about this and contemplated this, some of us may not have, but but most of us should have experienced the reality of doing something wrong, either intentionally or by accident, or failing to do something, either intentionally or by accident, and, and needing the forgiveness of another person, and then receiving that gracious and merciful and humble forgiveness as it's offered to you. Let me, let me, and I've kicked this around and I'm going to do it, but I, I want to kind of engage you in my story of the greatest human forgiveness that I've experienced. So, so um, we had, Stephanie and I had two children, uh, Jordan and Amber. Um, I'm trying to do the math really fast in my head right now. So Jordan would have been four and Amber would have been two. And we found out that Stephanie was pregnant. We were excited, it was the summer of 2001, I was graduating from seminary with my master's degree, I was getting ready to begin my, my, my career as a pastor, I mean, there was all kinds of good stuff happening, we find out we're expecting a baby, it's, this is, I mean, life is going great, so great that I was, <laughs> I was finishing up my job, the, the job that I had worked through uh, seminary, I was finishing up my job, and, and I really, they had come to me like, listen, you're here for another month, just, just don't do anything stupid, all right? We don't care what you do. Why couldn't you have told me that when I was able to study for like seminary? That would have been awesome. So they just kind of put me in places. We had all kinds of parties. It was a great couple of months. And um, this was before texting. Wow, man, does that make me sound old? <laughs> <laughs> it was before any of that. And so we were, um, Stephanie was at home with the two munchkins. Uh, and I was, um, we were private messaging like an AOL instant messenger Ask your parents, kids. Um, and so we were back and forth, back and forth. And, and it was, I mean, it was like, you know what? We haven't gone on a date for a long time. And so we were planning in, in, a date for the two of us that evening. It was going to be spectacular. It probably wasn't going to be that spectacular. But in my mind, I had blown it. I, like I'd exp- I admitted, I'm the romantic. I blew this thing up into like, this is going to be epic. She probably wasn't thinking the same thing, but I was. And so um, I, I was finishing my work day. And I was going home. And we had stopped kind of um, messaging each other around noon. And uh, I was heading home around dinner time and pull into the apartment driveway and you no know, nothing big. And I come and I open the door. And to say it looked like a bomb went off would be an understatement. And there from the door, you can see the couch. And there on the couch is my wife asleep. And around the corner in the kitchen were Jordan and Amber. Remember their ages, Four and two getting themselves a snack. There was food everywhere. It looked like they had taken, the, you know, you've seen the commercials where the kid takes a cereal box is like, I mean, there was just, it was everywhere. And I'm like, what is happening? I was a jerk in that moment. Like you would not believe, I, I, I'm not even going to go into details because it is actually still humiliating. I was immature, arrogant, unloving, unmerciful. And I was a jerk. Um I stepped in and saved the day cuz Stephanie needed a nap evidently. Cleaned up the house, got the kids ready for bed, made my own dinner and she was like, oh, and then she still woke up and she's like, oh, "I just don't feel good." I'm like, "Then go to bed." So she did. Long story short, uh, fast forward a a few hours, and I finally make my own dinner. The kids are finally in bed. I am still fuming. And I hear a call from the other end of the hallway in the the bedroom from Stephanie. I'm going to be sick. And I was a jerk. Well, you need me. You're an adult. I went down the hallway and I had a bucket. Like, here, and it was dark. So I handed her the bucket. Uh, she was on the bed. I handed her the bucket. She was she, and then as I was leaving the room, the most unbelievable thing happened. I heard the bucket hit the floor. Like, well, if you didn't want the bucket, you could have just said something. You need to throw it. I went back to my dinner. It was not ten minutes later where I heard a noise down the hallway and looked, and Stephanie was crossing the hallway from our bedroom towards the bathroom and didn't make it as she collapsed on the floor. Um, The anger subsided a little as I went running down into the bathroom and found her. Realized that entire time, from around noon to around 9 p.m., Stephanie had been fading in and out of consciousness the entire time. What we didn't know, that uh, Stephanie uh, was pregnant, we knew that part, but we didn't know she was pregnant with twins. We still had no idea what was going on as I, this is actually funny, I called my in-laws who lived about 15 minutes away and said, I need to get into to the hospital now. I don't know what's going on. She can't stay awake. Every time she sits up, she passes out. I'm not sure what's going on. And remember, 15 minutes away, in six minutes, my father-in-law walked in the door. <laughs> and my mother-in-law was like, I'll go with you to the hospital. So I put Stephanie in the car. I mean, we kind of slide her in the back seat. And I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm going to need to drive fast. And my mother-in-law is like, it won't be anything like I just experienced with my husband. <laughs> All right, let's go. <laughs> so we zipped up there and they rush her in and they do the ultrasound and there's the baby in in, in in the uterus and everything. And what's going on? But then they find a huge amount of blood in her abdomen and they rush her in and they tell me as they're going in for something, we got this, we know what it is. Something burst, we got it figured out, no problem, we'll take care of this half an hour. Three and a half hours later, I'm still sitting in the waiting room. After hearing surgeons being paged. Using lingo that you're, you don't know, need to know anything, you know that there's a problem somewhere, and in the head it's like I know what that is. That's my wife. Finally, the doctor comes and sits across from me, and she's she's just looking. She's like, "It wasn't what we thought it was." And um, long story short, <laughs> too late for that. Um, the the twin was an ectopic pregnancy, which means it was in the fallopian tube. It had never made it to the uterus, and so as it grew, it exploded one of her very important organs, and she was bleeding to death internally. Um, the doctor told me, Ste- Stephanie, will recover. It's going to take a long time. It was, um, it was ugly. They had given her a number of transfusions on the table. We we're going to leave her in an induced coma for a little bit. Um, the other baby's probably not going to make it, Frank. Well, the other baby's Luke. You decide if he made it or not. It's up to you. Yeah, I was concerned about my wife's health and the baby. And, and it was a whirlwind. But I couldn't get over the way I had behaved. It's just couldn't. What kind of man am I? Didn't even really check on his wife to see if she was okay. So after, she, she was in the hospital for a little bit more than a week. Um, after a few days, um, as she had all the tubes removed and could actually talk again, um, I sat next to her at the bedside and, um, with the most heartfelt apology I've ever given to a single soul, and just laid it out. And... Um, in very loving, gracious, humble ways, she made it very clear to me, she forgave me. We laugh because she actually doesn't remember any of it. I praise God for that too. (laughs) There is nothing like receiving forgiveness from someone that you have so horribly offended. And forgiveness is a wonderful idea, but forgiveness is a wonderful idea only until you're the one who has to forgive someone. Receiving it's great. Giving it, that's a whole different picture, isn't it? I mean, you could could go ridiculous to significant. And let me run a little bit of a list with you. you. You've got to forgive the little person who breaks your favorite dish. Or, or, or the little one in your home who's lost one of your favorite pieces of jewelry. You've got to forgive one of the neighbor kids who, in an effort to learn how to ride his new bike, crashes it into the side of your new car. You've got to, to forgive the, the neighbor who's out spray-painting his fence in a little bit too windy conditions and end up spray-painting the side of your house. I had a friend who actually did that. And forgive the one who crashes into you at a stop sign, the you got to forgive the, the family member who constantly disrespects you in public. And forgive the relative who is making the process of trying to close your parents' estate a nightmare. You've got to forgive the woman who stole your husband or the man who stole your wife. You have to forgive the dad who abused you, to forgive the mom who abandoned you, to forgive the close personal friend who betrayed you in ways you can't even begin to explain, the, the mentor who manipulates you to get something for himself when you thought you were just learning from him. You have to forgive the monster who violates somebody you love. I mean, forgiving the, the little kid who rides into the side of your car is very different than forgiving the one who stole your wife. And when you get to those more significant cases, those more significant events, those more significant offenses, what you recognize is forgiveness in those moments is staggering. Staggering. When the word of forgiveness cuts through the air in those moments, it is incomprehensible. And that's what we have in Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23, we've gone through this whole process of Jesus being betrayed, being arrested, being abused, being mocked, being scorned, being accused, being dragged from trial to trial being publicly humiliated, having the crowd call for his crucifixion. Being betrayed by the people who he loved and cared for the most. Finally being brought out to be crucified. In Luke chapter 23, let's start reading in verse 32, as Jesus being brought to be crucified. It says this in 23, 32. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there, along with those criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. The soldiers divided his clothes by casting lots and the, the people stood there watching and the rulers were sneering at him and they said, oh yeah, he saved others, let him save himself if he's God's Messiah, the chosen one. Soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and they said, man, if you're king of the Jews, why don't you save yourself? There was written a notice above him which said, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Well, why don't you save yourself and us? So, so I'm going to stop there. The, the cry from the cross, the saying from the cross is, As Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. In order for us to be able to wrap our heads fully around this, we have to ask ourselves a question. Who is he talking about? Who is he forgiving in this moment? I mean, the list is pretty extensive. You, you only need to go back to chapter 22 and the list just grows. I mean, it could, it could be the disciples. I mean, in chapter 22, verse, verse 20, he talks about having the Passover and observing that last supper with his disciples, and he, he stands before his disciples, and he says, this is my body which is broken for you. This is my blood which is poured out for you. This is I'm the fulfillment of the Passover lamb. I am the one who has come to take away the sins of the world, and, and there's going to be a betrayer, and there's going to be one that's going to stand against us, and I, I need to let you know that I'm doing this for you. I'm dying for you, and as soon as he finishes saying that, chapter 22, verse 24, it says this, a dispute also arose among them as to which of them was considered to be greatest what this is my body broken for you this is my blood which is poured out for your sins okay all right. tell me I made the top three at least Jesus takes them to pray in Gethsemane he says that they're, they're only a stone's throw away I don't care how good your arm is that ain't that far And he prays, and they sleep. Soldiers come to arrest him, and what do they do? Scatter. So as he cries out, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Is he talking about the disciples, or is is he talking about Judas in particular? When Judas comes with the soldiers, you hear the voice of Christ as Judas approaches him with a kiss, Judas, with a kiss. A man who decided that 30 pieces of silver was more important than the chosen one of God. Is that who he's talking about? Is he talking about about my man, Peter? (laughs) They come to arrest him. What does Peter do? He takes out his little sword and swings, and he's a terrible swordsman, so he takes off the guy's ear. Jesus says, put the sword away. Knock it off, Peter. What are you doing? And as they arrest Jesus and, and take him away, it says that that Peter follows Jesus at a distance, right to the the high priest's house, so that he can see exactly what it is that's going on. And it, and it, you know, you're familiar with the story. Jesus had already told Peter that he would betray him three times before the the rooster had crowed, before before the the sun would come up. And there, G, there Peter is around the fire, and every time he is asked if he knows Jesus, his answer is, "No, I don't know who Jesus is. What are you talking about?" One. Oh, you were with Jesus. No, I don't, I'm, no, never seen the guy. Two, I, know, I saw you with him. I do not know the man. Three, verse 61, chapter 22. Just as he was speaking, the last, the rooster crowed. Jesus turned and looked straight at Peter Peter remembered the word of the Lord that had spoken to him before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. I cannot imagine the pain in Peter's soul as his eyes locked with those of Jesus. But imagine the pain in the soul of Jesus to be betrayed by someone he trusted as much as Peter. Jesus forgiving the, the henchmen of the high priest in verse 63 of chapter 22, the ones who mocked him, the ones who beat him, the ones who blindfolded him and demanded to him, okay, okay now that you're blindfolded, I hit you. Now, who was it that hit you? Tell us which one of us it was. Or is he talking about the chief priests and the scribes, the ones who accused Jesus of misleading the nation and forbidding taxes? I mean, they put this in a political realm to try to overthrow Jesus. So so, so, is he forgiving them? Is he forgiving the chief priests and the scribes and the leaders who made accusations against Jesus? Oh, you know what he's trying to do? He, he's trying to stir up the people. He's trying to start a revolution. You should should get rid of him. All the while, what are they doing? Working the crowd. We should start chanting, crucify him. You get to chapter 23, and maybe Jesus is talking about forgiving Herod. Herod, that very eccentric leader, who was all excited about having Jesus brought to him because he had heard about the miracles, so he wants to see some magic tricks. In chapter 23, verse 8, when Herod saw Jesus, he was greatly pleased because for a long time he had been wanting to see him. From what he had heard about him, he hoped to he hoped him. I'll try that again. He hoped to see him perform a sign of some sort. He plied him with many questions, but Jesus gave him no answers. And the soldiers of Herod mock him. And they dress him in a royal outfit, and they return him back to Pilate. Is he forgiving Herod and his soldiers? Is he forgiving the crowds? the crowds who were presented an opportunity to set Jesus free because at that time of year it was the custom for, the, for Pilate to release one who was in jail. And so Pilate thought, this is an easy one. They're going to want to release Jesus. But instead they asked for Barabbas, an insurrectionist who was guilty of murder. He's talking about forgiving the crowds who stood at the foot of Pilate and began to yell and chant, crucify him! Let his blood be upon us and our children. Crucify him. He hangs on the cross. Is Jesus thinking of them? Is he thinking of Pilate, who through this whole process and saw no guilt in Jesus and yet refused to protect him? Who, Who made the offer? Well, I'll tell you what, what if I what if I beat Jesus? What if I have him scourged? Maybe you guys will leave me alone, but no, and then Pilate delivers him to be crucified. Maybe it's the the soldiers at Golgotha, the soldiers at the place of the skull, the soldiers who were at the foot of the cross gambling for his clothes as he hung there to die. Is he talking about the people at the cross who who kept just wagging their head. (laughs) Let God deliver him then if he says he is who he says he is. Let him come off the cross. I mean, he saved other people, or so he said, so why can't he save himself? Is it the one thief who joined in the mocking even though his fate was the same as Jesus? Who is Jesus talking about when he says, Father, forgive them, they do not know what they're doing? I mean, I think we've just seen in chapter 22 and 23, there are plenty of people in need of forgiveness. What I think we need to understand is this, none of them deserved it. At any moment, Jesus could have called an angelic force to to come to his aid and destroy every smirking tyrant where they stood. I mean, if there was ever someone who could justifiably be angry, who could be hanging on the cross cursing and bitter, but instead... Father, forgive them. While none of us were there, our sin was well represented. The same arrogance of the religious leaders exists in our hearts. The same narcissistic self-importance that was inherited is in us. The same selfishness that was in Judas we put on display every day. We use and abuse people instead of serving them. Our lives are marked by cynicism and anger. So even though we weren't there, our sin was well represented. Our sin helped drive the nails through his hand. But in that moment, instead of calling down curses, the one who didn't need forgiveness offered it to those who are condemned without it. In that moment, Jesus offered forgiveness. Who did he offer forgiveness to? Everyone that was there at the cross. Who did he offer forgiveness to? All of us who are here this morning. See, Bear with me for just a few moments because it's vital that you understand what forgiveness is and what it isn't. When Jesus offered this forgiveness to all at the cross and to all of us this morning, he wasn't offering forgiveness to people who were repenting and confessing and sorry for their sins and and just living a good old life. No, he was offering forgiveness to God, his own enemies. He was offering forgiveness to people who were still sinning against him. He was offering forgiveness to people who were still dead in their transgressions and in their sins. And he offered mercy and he forgave us. See, see, here's the problem. We have it backwards. We we, we think that that God is this, this cruel, maniacal God. He's out to get us, damn as many people to hell as he possibly can. And when we confess and repent and yield to him, then his response is to be merciful. That's backwards. Because what the reality is this, it's not our confession and repentance that brings God's mercy. It's God's mercy that brings our confession and repentance. It's it's, it's not that we first loved God. He first loved us. And it's seen very clearly in his prayer of forgiveness over us. But but, but the, the prayer of forgiveness that Jesus speaks for us isn't the end. You can't say, okay, see, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, because they don't know what they're doing. No, so see, Jesus and I are good. God and I are good because of that forgiveness. No, just because mercy was displayed, because forgiveness isn't reconciliation. You get that? That I don't know what that was, sorry. Forgiveness isn't reconciliation. Forgiveness isn't like, okay, good, everything's wonderful again. No, it's the first step of reconciliation. Forgiveness removes all of the obstacles that would keep you and God from coming together again. And so Jesus offered forgiveness to everyone that was there, and yet 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 just let me give this picture. So so forgiveness was offered to everybody that's there. So you've got Pilate, Herod, you've got the soldiers, you've got the crowds, you've got all these different people. And yet when we read the gospel narrative, when we read the story of the cross, we're only aware of two, one certainly, maybe two, that actually received the very reconciliation to God. The one definite is the thief on the cross, which we'll talk about shortly. The other is the centurion, Truly, this was the Son of God. Now, is that a moment where He comes to God? We're not sure, but, but the forgiveness was offered to all. But there's, there's more than just forgiveness. Forgiveness is the offer. But that offer needs to be accepted. See, Romans 2, 4 tells us that it's the goodness and the kindness of God that we receive. And it doesn't just end there. It's supposed to lead us to repentance. It's supposed to lead us to the place where we turn on our back on the things that aren't giving us life and we run to the only one who can. So as Jesus was on the cross, he spoke that prayer, Father, forgive them, that removed all obstacles to you being able to be reconciled to God even in this moment. Okay, Frank, hold on. You have no idea what you're talking about. I mean, that is true. Okay, let me move over here though. You don't know the depth of my evil. You don't know the heinousness of my sin. Your sin, no matter what it was, has not stopped, cannot stop, and will not stop the power of the prayer of Jesus. Keep clapping. I need a drink of water. That wasn't disingenuous at all, my bad. Sorry. <laughs> um, that, when, when you hear this with Jesus on the cross, you gotta remember he is pleading for you. He's establishing the opportunity for you to be made right with God. So so let me let me do this. I warned you two things were coming. So have you already run to Jesus? Have have you already embraced his forgiveness for your sins? Calling on him to be your savior? I mean, if that's true, then let me tell you, forgiveness is yours. And and the problem is is that we, we live in such a shame culture that we miss that. And we fail to do what we should do with the forgiveness that is offered to us. You know what we should do with that forgiveness? We should wash in it. We should play in it. We should splash around in it. We should submerge ourselves in that forgiveness. We should stop being held back by shame and guilt. We we need to stop living like like we're we're ducking the fist of God's wrath. Like it's going to come at any moment. Look out. Because the good news of the gospel, brother, sister, little brother, little sister... (laughs) The good news of the gospel is that there's no need to duck anymore. Jesus took the wrath of God's uppercut for us. Stop ducking! You know why I'm so animated about that? Because I am preaching to myself. The forgiveness that Christ offered me in his finished work on the cross means I am forgiven, I am washed by the blood of the lamb, I am his child, I am his love, I am his bride. So, so I warned you. And, and so here's, here's the first opportunity, an invitation. I invite those of you who know Christ as Savior to let go of the shame and the guilt that you carry because of your imperfections and taste and see what forgiveness is. And it's fascinating. Shame comes when we think we're actually hiding something from God. We sang a song that already said it, no reason to try to hide what you already see. So, so how do you how do you respond to that? How do you respond to that invitation where you taste and see what forgiveness is. You know what? Let me, (laughs) it's gonna be the mushiest invitation you've ever heard. However, it is appropriate. If that means, when we, we get ready to sing a song at the end of the, the message, when we get ready to do that, if that means that you need to leave your seat and, and come to one of the altars here in the front, there's an altar over by the cross, and, and just skid on your face before God and thank him for the forgiveness and pray that you would release the shame and guilt to his account, not to yours any longer, then by all means do that. If it means you need to grab your spouse and bring them with you, do it. If it means you need to grab your parent, a friend, or just grab somebody else who's around you, bring them with you, or or. Sit where you are. Sit where you are. And thank him for his forgiveness by allowing that goodness that he's given to you to lead you to a fresh view of his mercy and grace. Um, We're just about done. But I would be a fool to think that there are not people sitting in this room who have not come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Have you never confessed with your mouth that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Have you never confessed with your mouth that Jesus Christ came to seek and to save the lost and that you're one of the lost? That that Jesus came and he died in your place. He he wore your crown of thorns. He took your shame. He bore the wrath of God on your behalf. The offer of forgiveness that is, is here, that was spoken from the very words of Jesus' mouth on the cross is available to you. And let me be clear, okay? When I give an invitation like this, it always makes me uncomfortable because of my own personal history. Um, growing up in a place where there was a magic mantra you needed to say in order to get saved. If you didn't leave your seat and walk down an aisle in the first two verses of Just I Am, then then you weren't saved. And you know what that led into in my life? An incredible level of Doubt. I know I did, didn't I? Did I do it? I didn't do it right. Did I say it right? It? So there is no magic mantra. That's, that, that's voodoo. There is no magic mantra. There's no special formula to say, but there is action required. And no, the action is not leaving your seat, walking an aisle, or even praying with another person. The action is crying from your heart that you want to experience the mercy of Jesus now. The action is, is admitting that you're a sinner who needs a savior that you believe that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay the price for your sins and you're asking for him to rescue you even right now. And you, you don't you don't need to leave your seat to be a Christian. Okay, you, you you can you can be right there in your heart in your in your heart in your seat and cry out verbally or even in your heart. And you can call on him and say Jesus I want you to save me because I need it. And I know you're the only savior. You're the only redeemer. You're the only rescuer in no other is there salvation. So you don't need to leave your seat. I'm going to be honest with you, okay? Let me, let me lay this out for you. We want to help you. We want to serve you. We, we want to come alongside you. If, if you this, is, this is something you've done this morning, man. We want, to, we want to buddy up with you and encourage you in your walk. And, and let me be honest. You know how encouraging it is for one of us to be able to walk with you as you come to Christ? Man, it fills my sails. There is nothing better than, than, than a new baby in Christ looking at the word of God and being like, wow, he did that for me? Because sometimes I forget and think that somehow I deserved it. We want to we walk alongside you. We want to help you. So, so as we close with, with this final song, as we close with the song, there, there are going to be men and women who are going to make their way back to, to the sound booth area. We're not going to do the the little trick where it's like the music's going to start and like 16 people are going to get up and walk back. So it's like, oh, there goes the momentum. Let's go. Mm -mm. We're going to have four, maybe six people standing back in the sound booth. So you know that. I want to be clear. I am not going to manipulate anybody. I cannot save your soul. And I certainly can't do it through manipulation. It's the Holy Spirit of God who can save you. And so if you want to call on Jesus Christ, you can do that right in your seat. If you want to walk alongside somebody and say, listen, pray for me, help me, I don't even know what I'm doing, then you head back there. If you're a man, we're going to have a guy go aside with you. If you're a lady, we'll have a lady go aside with you, and they're going to spend some time praying for you, encouraging you, and trying to help. I warned you, there'd be an invitation. And this is the invitation. Taste and see that the Lord is good, that his forgiveness is covers not just a multitude of sin. It covers it all. Let's pray together. Lord, we use the word forgiveness all the time. And yet some of us have never really experienced what true forgiveness is. So in this moment, in this place, with these people who are here, God, I ask, I beg that your spirit would continue to draw them to you. And that those who have never run to you for rescue, for redemption, that today would be the day of salvation that they would call on the name of Jesus, the the mighty, omnipotent name of Jesus, the name above all names, the only one who can save us from our sins, that they would call on him, even in this moment, to be their savior. Give them courage. Give them boldness. I, I pray for the ones here who have known you for a long time and yet continue to carry the weight of shame and guilt. Lord, I pray that they would find redemption and rescue in this moment, remembering what it is you've done for them. May they play in forgiveness. May they bathe in forgiveness. May they remember again what it means when you said, forgive them. I thank you that in the powerful prayer of Jesus, we can be confident sins are forgiven. May we leave here today overwhelmed with that. For it's in the name of our Savior Jesus, I pray. Amen.